welcome to episode one of Spotlights by PSNYPG, a podcast where we discuss with exceptional pharmacists on their journey through pharmacy school, their current profession, and ultimately their entire career. I am Nelson, and today we'll be speaking to a very special guest, someone I've always, always admired, the CEO of Advantage Health Africa, pharmacist Abimbola Adebakin. I'm so pumped to be having this conversation. And I think the, the first thing, if I wanted to describe you on your personal notes, and then based on how I've interacted with you in the past of seeing you in public, it would be um, disruptor, innovator, quiet, calm, collected, coordinated. Mm-hmm. These are just a few of the words head, I think. My I... head is swelling. <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 those are just a few of the of the words I think. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I think I might be able to use to describe you, but I really want you to describe yourself, like in oh. maybe just buzzwords like that that you really think speaks to you as a person or describes you better. Okay, I think um, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I think when I try to think about myself, I say can do. You know, I say audacious. I say things like questions the norm. I know I'm quiet, so I don't even use that to describe myself. <laughs> calm, calm is relative. Some people who see me in close quarters say I'm calm. Some who know me also think that, you know, I spark. Uh, as in, <laughs> depends on what day you meet me. I think. So those are words I'd use. Audacious, I have a can-do spirit. I question why. And um, for now, that's it. Okay. Um, before I go into what I would have termed the follow-up to this, but you, and you've really touched on some of the things which you've spoken of in a lot of places, which is um, kind of challenging the status quo and then questioning why being audacious for some people, that kind of thing means um, they are, it gives them freedom or they have some form of agency over their surrounding. Um, would you say that is the same reason why you're that way or are there any other things that might have led you to push on to become this sort of person that is always questioning or wants to change things? Mm, so maybe it's impatience actually. I, I get easily irritated with um, the norm when it's no longer serving you. So I, I, I wonder why you can't change it. Yes, yeah, so if you say have agency over my life, I do. I reckon from an early age, I've understood that I'm not inferior per se to anyone. So I can't understand why anyone should be able to have agency and then I don't. I also don't understand why we think that someone from outside is going to come and fix stuff for us when we can, you know, think through and fix it ourselves. So the impatience with, you know, that lackadaisical attitude of waiting for someone else to do stuff, it just it gets me going. It gets me, you know, to take action. I might not do it right. You know, I might see a door and one day I'll just say, oh, this door is you know, it's broken, you know, just fix this thing and stop patching it or stop managing it. And the speed and the rapidity that I approach it with, you wonder, you know, what happened all the while? Because I've been looking at it, looking at it and just, you know, one day just triggers my head. I stop it, stop managing or, you know, you know, stop tolerating such nonsense and get, you know, get something done with it. So when my attention is drawn to something and it picks on my my impatience, I, I tend to do something about it. Oh, wow, wow, that, that is so rich. And based on what you've said now, um, linking it up to this is kind of the person you have always been right from when you were younger. So would you say, say 20 years ago, 20 years before now, this is kind of still the same thought process you've always had or has it been something that has continuously, progressively changed over time? Um, definitely it's changed over time. Things evolve. 
things evolve, but I will, I, it's changed somewhat over time. But there are elements that I can look back in my career. For example, when I decided to, you know, switch from pharmacy to management consultant, it was an experience that made me realize, come on, you know, come off it. You know, this isn't working for you at this time. Not that I hated pharmacy at all. You know, I hear a lot of people say they don't like pharmacy. No, I just thought, you know, I had an opportunity to change something and I went for it, got it, and, you know, did what I needed to do in about four years and came back into the industry. So maybe it's been there, but it evolved over time into bolder, louder, more, you know, decisiveness as I have grown in age. And maturity, of course, helps one to be able to channel that irritation in a calm, gentle manner. So you're not looking impatient and untidy. You're not looking like, what were those words you used for me? Um, disruptor. That's, yeah. And then collected now comes into it because you're coordinated in, in a way. Yeah, better coordinated now. But then sometimes, you know, the irritation shows up and, oh, the older bimbala is back. But really, I think it's gotten calmer over the years. Okay, I think what, what is really interesting about it and great about it is, is that it has always been due to a problem you have seen. So it's about really solving things. So it's not even about just um, jumping up to be agitated, but more about um, trying to be a solution. So I think that, that can now take us further into what I think I wanted us to still go back to a bit. So I want us to kind of like have an understanding of maybe your childhood, your education, maybe some form of, if you could put in some family there, um, you can look at it right from maybe primary school and then we go into maybe the upper part and how you ended up studying pharmacy, if it was a choice or if you stumbled upon it like some of us. <laughs> so I would just yeah. like to get some of those backgrounds and then we can now move further into some parts which you have kind of touched in terms of leaving pharmacy, coming back into pharmacy and all that. Yeah. So yes, um, I have some recollection of primary school. I think I've always been the quiet, calm person, but I can stand my own. So I wasn't bothered by people. But I recall being, you know, the one who someone who's been bothered by others would come to and I'd step in, you know, on their behalf and say, you know, you can't bully this person. But a friend of mine in recent years, that in the past three or four years, reminded me of a time when some of them couldn't bring enough money to buy a pack of biscuits. And I would buy a pack of biscuits and resell to them, you know, in broken parts. And I said, oh, wow, so this thing has been long. You know, finding solutions has probably been with me for a long time. I know many people get in, you know, um, motivated by different stimuli. For mine is a problem-solving stimuli. I also remember in secondary school that it was because I was embarrassed by my geography teacher in SS1 that I then decided to do well because I couldn't understand why you know anybody would call me out in the line and say you know if you look you're so big you're so tall but you know you're failing. So that irritated me and from there. <laughs> I started to do it in all my subjects and came out with one of the top results. Uh, so it's been a recurring, you know, decimal that when I do recognize a problem, I then do something about it. Primary school, secondary school, and even university. Um, university, so many experiences that I could share about that. But one comes to mind when I had to, you know, repeat the year and, I actually saw it as a blessing, more like an, an opportunity. That was in my 300 level. And um, I took it up as a challenge. And from that repeated 300 level till we finished in 500 level, my GP per year was a first class result. And it wasn't because I went to go and find a new wow. brain. I'm not saying I ended up with first class. I ended up with a third best result. But I'm just saying that, you know, I, I woke something up within me because I had a problem to solve. 
So probably problems stimulate me and I see myself as a solutions provider because then it's addressing a tangible you know, issue and then I hold on to it until it's solved. And that has really paid off for me in this um, entrepreneurial journey that I'm on currently. Sometimes it pays off to the fact that I can't do so many things, but somehow I'm, I'm able to streamline them then define the solution, work with the team and pass it on to my team to handle. Because I think my strengths are more in the strategy formulation, the assessment and formulation, you know, the early implementation. Then I can move on thinking, all right, competent people can, you know, handle it going forward. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so I think that just takes us back to it's just been a life of problem solving, picking out that problem, and then ensuring that. <laughs> well, yes, incidences of problem solving, not so much a life. I have fun. I have uh, downtime when I just do things to someone else. I said, oh, come and join us, but not necessarily problem solving. Okay, so um, would you say, would there be any experience that you say is an unforgettable moment or an experience that defined your stay in school outside from this point where you said you had to repeat 300 level, maybe something in the fun part of it now? <laughs> Honestly, um, the one that comes to my mind is in, it's the same 300 level that I repeated we had a concert and the fun part of the concert was it wasn't any denomination per se that was you know, in charge, it was a Christian concert. And I had been known in some circles as a graphic artist. So when we were distributed into different, um, different units, I worked alongside some great people, very creative. And we created very interesting things like armbands, like posters. Instead of putting posters on the walls, we were putting them on the ceilings. So as you're walking down the corridor at College of Medicine, you looked up and you saw our posters. You know, we did things like getting Coca-Cola to come and sell their drinks at top price. So instead of buying Coke, maybe Coke was like 50 naira. We sold it you know, for two nights solid at 35 naira. So any and everybody came queued to buy Coke. They're just creating the sensation and the news about it. So it was a really jam-packed hall that we had and then I sang. I think that's the only time I've sung. And my, my teammates don't believe I ever sang because they say now that <clears throat> that's not a skill I have, but I, I you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing contest. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I quite sang, I sang quite well. I had a band, a live band and all that. So anyway, I think that was fun. And then that year ended up not so fun, but I recall that event you know, often, the dawning and how we brought out our organizational skills. We were coordinated by you know, an unusual suspect and everything went you know, beautifully. And we disbanded right after that. We didn't create a mountain around it. And for me, you know, that shows the power of coming together and identifying different people's strengths and using that for a purpose and you know dis disbanding afterwards. Wow, <laughs> that that is so so much of an insight into your on, on a normal day. I usually would say I can also describe you as a collaborator, someone who's able to innovate. And then the entrepreneurial spirit just shows already. <laughs> it was always there. Right from you talking about being in primary school and being able to sell those things. And then getting a multinational company, definitely that was what they were at that time, Coca-Cola, to come and do something like that and still reduce the prices. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that is just so interesting to know so i think it takes us back to the next point where i also want us to discuss which is your journey after graduating from pharmacy school so maybe you can walk us through that your first job after school was it what you wanted but i, I was just the progression after pharmacy school okay. and then moving on from there my my first job was definitely what i wanted so then it was common for people to leave school and go for internship at loose and therefore my whole class applied for the exam or the interview. I don't know what it was they were doing then. 
we were about 40 something and I was the only one who didn't apply. I certainly did not want to work at loose. And I stood out like, um, you know, I knew definitely I didn't want, so I knew what I didn't want. All my holidays, and I say holidays, including ASU strike and, you know, normal holidays. I'd worked at a popular community pharmacy called Tabade. And Tabade chemist, you know, took me under his wings. It was like a big daddy, you know, he he was, he had the community pharmacy. He had, after a while, he had um, uh, a research lab where the things, he also had a, an importation line of business where he actually had contract manufacturing done for him abroad. And then he brought them in and, you know, distributed. So he exposed all of those parts to me. He made me see, you know, he would sit in front of, you know, CNN and co, and then just be watching the change in prices of dollar, pounds, and so on, yen. And he made us realize, look, 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 see. You know, I would have to look and see. And he said, you know, that's another way to make money. Then he would expose us to things like uh, research. So I, I, I worked in the community pharmacy almost every holiday. And one holiday I worked in the research lab and I told him, oh, I'm coming back to work in the research lab for my internship. In fact, at the time when I was going to come into management consulting, I was asked if I wasn't working in management consulting, what would I do? I said, oh, I'd work in a research lab because I could just imagine myself, you know, having no cares in the world and just formulating something, coming up with research and, you know, staying at it for a while and, you know, producing maybe a molecule. So that was interesting to me. So I did my internship there and then went to serve in Benue, Makodi. I worked at the hospital for the uh, Nigeria Air Force and that was really interesting. I discovered, while I was working there, I discovered a compounding lab that had been disused for years. So I revived that and started to make products. There weren't so many medicines in our pharmacy. So I had to make calamine lotion, metiosa, all sorts of things. And you know, it revived the pharmacy, so to speak. And um, that was interesting. I loved working in Makodi. I loved the fact that I wasn't in Lagos. Actually, you know, I, 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 I'm surprised when I see a lot of people not wanting to leave their base now for NYSE. I particularly enjoyed mine. And then, then when I joined the drama group, joined the dance group, uh, what else? I enjoyed that. Came back and then I applied to lots of pharmacy industry roles. Got into one. Started doing um, sales and marketing. Then from there went into management consulting. Wow, <laughs> this is so so much to unpack here. But mm -hmm. I think, <laughs> and it's nice to see that the progression for you for you has been totally not limited. And then you've been able to say, I have this strength here. Um, I'm seeing some form of finance here. And that I think it will also um, take us to when we want to really discuss about how you delved into financial services and all that. But it looks like you're someone who is willing to try so many things and then Absolutely. see what sticks and c continue with that but i would just want to push us back into something else which is during all this process would you say there was any point you saw as your first big break and what exactly would it have been during like through this journey you have walked us through now from tabade you did the thing that you went into research you were in Marcody, you went back into sales and marketing and then you moved into consulting and all that but was there a time you would consider as your first big break and what exactly was that i really can't see a big a, a big break that i'll call it a big break i actually think my life has been a series of mini breaks you know many marvelous breaks here and there you know, some are so, you know, marvelous that I'm just glad that I've gone through that. Uh, not not one big break per se, unless maybe if you give me an example and I can say, oh, sure, that happened to me. But I've had a series of, you know, lucky breaks. Working with Tabadi was just, you know, a family friend introducing me and that was great. You know, it took me 
under his wings, if you can call that. And that was really excellent because he showed the capabilities that were beyond just one thing. He was in community, he was in importation, he was in research, he owned a lab after a while, built, you know, his building where Tabadi was, was built by, was it Julius Breger? Or one of those big construction companies. And for us, that was a wow that, you know, a pharmacy can, you know, command such big, you know, big client, you know, um, vendors or service providers. So that was exposure. And I thought the exposure was a big break for me. Working in Makodi, I met one of my best friends there. So life was good. Um, going into Accenture, a management consultant was also a good break. I like the fact that, you know, I got exposed to them through some work I was doing for my mom. She owned the salon, so I used to work in a salon. And one of her clients, you know, one of the days I told her, look, I'm getting bored. I'm getting bored with this pharmacy. She just asked the woman, what do you do? Now I said, oh, I work in Accenture. And she was like, oh, so can my daughter work there? She said, yeah, we take anybody from Yoruba to nuclear, nuclear physics. So the way she just said it, <laughs> anybody, so long as you're good. And I went and did it and got the best results in the, in the test and, you know, got to do the interviews. And along the way, I messed up my first interview. In fact, the guy asked me, you know, what's your five-year plan? And I looked at him and point blank said I didn't have any. And he asked me in two, three ways. And I kept insisting that I didn't have a five-year plan. So, you know, he more or less dropped his pen and paper and then said, you know what, next time when you ask if you have a five-year plan, the, you know, do one, you know, make one up, even if you don't have. So that was a big break because I thought I'd lost the opportunity. And then I got called for the next interview. Eventually worked there. So it's been a series of, you know, nice serendipities. How do you say serendipity? So serendipity, serendipity, yeah. Yeah. Serendipitous things that have happened to me. I remember working in, you know, MGROS, which was the marketing arm of Bola Chemist. And at the time, I'd done an interview elsewhere and I, you know, put in my letter of resignation that I was leaving, only to not be able to secure that elsewhere that I thought I had, you know, secured. <laughs> I came back to them and said, please, may I have my letter back? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and now that I think of it, I think they must have just said, oh, wow, who is this naive, you know, and they gave me back. And, you know, I continued working. So <laughs> they were so, you know, open and relatable. It was a great place to work. It was really, really a great place to work. So I've had such fortunate, you know, incidences all my life, I think. That's that's oh, wow. Um, so it speaks to versatility. It speaks to ability also, because I, I don't see any way where it would have been possible to probably get into all these places or get back into all these places after leaving without having some form of quality that speaks for you. Hmm. Well, I reckon so. <laughs> so so now you, you've traded away from pharmacy a lot because it's in the versatility it's in all the things you've done you've been in marketing you've even worked in your mom's hair salon and all that and then you you've moved across so many places and you've seen things work in different sectors so what exactly propelled you to get back into pharmacy and then try to do something about what happens in pharmacy Oh, that, that, was, that was very clear to me, actually. So when I did my MBA, while I was still working with Sam Giros, I came across a body of knowledge called organizational behavior, and I loved it. In fact, I think I, that's when I fell in love with strategy. It was like my eyes were open, and I was like, oh, wow, oh, wow. And I was going, oh, wow, all the time. Organizational behavior teaches you how, you know, things are done from systems to structure to people to processes and so on. And I could see clearly that this was missing in my sector. I couldn't see big entities emerge. Then the largest chain of pharmacies had seven branches and, you know, it was doing well, but I just felt, come on, if you go, if you travel, you know, you travel abroad, you see the likes of Boots and Lloyd's and there are many up and down. Why can't we have that? So that used to trouble me. 
And also, I was quite concerned about even in the industry, you know, people were old money up and down. It appeared our systems weren't quite, you know, working. And so having worked in Accenture and immediately, in, in fact, the thing about Accenture was then, we were divided into two clear units. You either work in financial services sector or you work in resources, resources meaning oil and gas and so on. So I was placed in financial services sector. Remember, you could be Yoruba to nuclear physics. What they're looking for are crossover skills. They're looking for the softer skills and certain traits, your critical thinking traits, your ability to question, your ability to quickly learn and you know jump right in and keep running. So you know, speed to speed to move or speed to create something that was, you know, and I'm quite comfortable with ambiguity. So those are things that I think worked for me. And that's my interest in organizational behavior. Because when you talk then about organizations and wanted to build organizations, I was right there. That was my forte. That was my area of interest. So when I picked a specialty in Accenture, I picked organizational designs, meaning how do you design organizations that outlive you? How do you design organizations so that they are functioning? They can go from profit of you know three million to thirty million, and things of that nature. And the industry that was championing that at that time was the financial services sector. So you didn't think whether you were a pharmacist or not, just thought in line of organizational design and organizational behavior. That then became my specialty. Well, I just kept thinking pharmacy needs this, pharmacy needs this. I would love to come back into pharmacy, you know, to do some of these things that one is beginning to consult banks to do, insurance companies to do. And that was my first foray back into the sector. I thought, you know, let me come back, set up a whole long chain. That change will soon come. So why don't I be at the forefront of, you know, starting one? By the time I got to three, I was tired. Three branches, I was exhausted. I noticed something else that I hadn't understood before. I've gone to understand ecosystems and ecosystem resilience and how that you might have all the lofty dreams and intentions, but if your ecosystem around you is not supportive, it's not going to happen the way you want it to happen. And as some of the things that hinder growth are not so much as the internal dynamics of an organization, some of them are actually the external, you know, relatedness and external context. So many things were not working in our industry at that time. And um, I was, you know, swayed to go back into management council. But by, by the time I came back in 2017, some of those things were still waiting. So that's why I tell myself I'm now focused on industry level, you know, change. I do things that cut across. You see me doing things in collaboration, aggregation, governance, things around, you know, access to markets, access to resources, access to skills that go beyond my own organization. Yeah, I, like bridging I, those that, that gap. Yeah, to bridge those gaps that I had identified back then. Because some of them still exist now. Um, we've talked through a number of wins. And usually before all these winds come, before you're able to kind of get and see all these things, there would usually be pullbacks. And you've mentioned kind of one of them as you spoke, which is not having a supportive ecosystem, so to speak. So are there some other things you would consider were kind of challenges along the way when you were trying to do some of the things you have been doing and also some other challenges that might have kind of personally affected your career? So aside from affecting the system, what other challenges directly affected your career can, that you can share with us? Mm, career. I'm not quite sure. Maybe I've, I've glossed over them now because I've overcome them. But probably at that time, knowledge, understanding, how to access resources. There weren't so many interested parties like we have now. For example, now banks want to lend money to pharmacies and clinics, like, you know, where the, you know, the, the hot cake. Then you had to speak a lot of grammar and you just wouldn't get it. In fact, 
you know, then you know the only way you could finance your business was credit from your suppliers. I didn't know of those who could access credit back then. And the one or two that I heard of were accessing it and doing quite well, but it wasn't commonplace. Now you, as a pharmacy, you probably get banks chasing you to come and please take a pharma loan. They're begging right now. So that's an ecosystem um, awakening or growth that you know, has evolved over the past 10, 15 years. Um, technology also, I remember my system you know, crashing so many times. Maybe it was a secondhand computer I was using or the software was just you know, messed up. <laughs> we just had to you know, keep re you know, re reinstalling. Well, it didn't make it attractive. So at the time, when I started my pharmacy you know, to do beautifully and you know, be automated and all, at embarrassing times, we were using notebooks, you know, to just capture sales and just get by. Also, you know, started with lofty dreams of sales and they just weren't coming, probably because of the location or because I, I, I knew we cultivated a very loyal, you know, my, my, a loyal community, but maybe their buying capacity at that time, maybe, I'm not sure. But in coming back now, those things apparently fed my understanding of how to support community pharmacies. One of the first things I did was to develop a value chain model that showed end to end what a pharmacy is doing. Too many people just didn't know what they were doing in one body, as in you could see it as a model. And I could show you that, look at these are the eight things you do from procurement to sales to after sales. Apparently, you know, that model hadn't existed before then. I also showed the model of how you could optimize sales, cross-selling and all, and did a book. We actually produced a pharmacy playbook. I'd heard the term playbook from basketball. And I can say that I borrow models a lot. So it appeared to me that if basketballers have a playbook that makes them win, then what's our playbook in pharmacy? So I developed a pharmacy playbook. I worked with a guy who was very interested in things that I was saying at that time. So while I shared the concept, he came up you know, with the product and we sold to hundreds you know, of pharmacies and that helped. In fact, some are still asking for it till now. So to me, those are you know, understandings or um, revelations that I have of the sector that are informing some of the things we're doing. We're coming up with technology now, sitting with actual processes and saying, you can't continue to use an off the shelf type of technology in a community pharmacy. The work you do is a bit more specialized. So you must create the, you know, the software for community pharmacies. And we're doing that, um, you know, so those are, those are some of the things. Hope I haven't deviated from your question, but. No, not, 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 not so much, um, but I, I think we might be able to still touch on it when we continue in the conversation. So, but with some of the things you've talked about, like developing a playbook, like collaboration, like being able to see some of these things, it shows that um, there was a lot of learning across the line. And it, it also might take me back to when you even spoke about um, Tabadi Pharmacy and the owner being some form of a mentor, would you say mentorship was a very important part of your journey to this process also? So because I know um, you had a conversation with someone at some point and then you did make mention of um, um, Lucy Newman, Dr. Lucy Newman and all that. <laughs> yeah, so I... I, I yeah, so I, I wanted to get kind of like an understanding of what role mentorship might have played and probably if structured mentorship was kind of part of those things too, or if it was just the playbook thing that kind of led to some other things that have happened along the line for you. So, so two things when I think of mentorship, I think of mentorship and sponsorship. And in, in life, if you can get both, I think you're good. You're good with good sponsorship. People who just believe in you and they speak for you in places where you otherwise cannot get to. And they actually stand on your behalf like your backer. So they back you up at discussions where opportunities are being shared. And I have benefited from sponsorship 
quite remarkably. In fact, the chairman of my business now used to be my boss at Accenture. He never knew I studied pharmacy. It's now that I went, you know, trying to raise funds that he discovered that, and he's been a great sponsor. So I won't call him my mentor. I'll call him my sponsor. However, Itabade, I also won't call him my mentor. I'll say he was a sponsor again. Dr. Newman, she was my boss. And there were tough times, you know, she would show such integrity and such structure and such, you know, clarity of thought that I learned from her. Did we deliberately have a mentor-mentee relationship? No. But in hindsight, I call her my mentor because she showed me things. So hers wasn't about sponsorship per se. Hers was demonstrating and I could pick up. Do you get my point? So I think yeah. a, I think a mentor needs to be separated from a sponsor. And mentors teach you things, whether you know overtly or covertly. And so Dr. Neiman showed and taught me styles, attributes, you know. For example, I used to write a lot at a point in time. And I write about A, tomorrow I write about B. Now they are right about C. And she said, Abimbala, you know what? I love that you write, but you know, sometimes you need to become a subject matter expert. Look at me. I write on. And then I actually opened my eyes and saw that, oh, wow. She actually writes deliberately and she does it to become an SME in this area. So I then started to streamline my writing. I started writing on corporate governance and things that were, you know, related to an area I was desirous of. So that's a mentor, someone who has taught me the way to get by on, on you know, in, in specific matters. So yeah, I've had a few of such people who mentor, whether they know they're mentoring or they don't know, but I haven't quite reached out to anyone to be my mentor. Maybe because I'm an introvert, I'm shy. And um, maybe because I just, you know, I don't need to formalize such things. They come and I do the learning and I'm grateful and I you know we move on. Okay. Um, and because I'm like someone who is almost also an introvert and I think it's a problem a number of young pharmacists might also have. What form of advice would you say, would you give to an introvert that needs to, because you, like you've said, there's the need for the mentors, there's the need for the sponsors, and then there's the need to have that network that can really speak for you because now we say your network is your net worth. So how can young pharmacists who are kind of introverted break out of that shell? Or even if they're not out of the shell, like you say, sometimes you're still shy, how oh, yeah. can they do better and then move into spaces where they can be in networks that help them to grow and then probably sponsor them too. Uh, I really don't have a blueprint for that. <laughs> I am learning. But I know that volunteering helps. It gets you into rooms that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get to. So that has helped people that I, at least I observe. I observe that a lot of people that I work with me volunteered. And then, you know, they it came into my radar. So that might help others as well, young pharmacists. You know, walk up to some of these people that you admire. Maybe you admire how they speak, how they work, their companies or whatever, and, you know, offer to support. You just might strike the person at a point of need. So volunteering works. Writing, writing works so that your content can speak for you. And, you know, if it's well shared and well distributed and well promoted, and, you know, being an introvert doesn't mean that you're dull or you're daft. An introvert can be more strategic in positioning than, you know, you know we expect. So yeah. if you need to sponsor your articles, sponsor them, get many eyeballs on them. If you need to promote them, promote them. You don't have to be the one that is speaking in those, you know, adverts and promotions. You can hire someone to do that. You know, I, I speak because I'm invited. I hardly initiate my own speaking events. If I did any during COVID, it was one or two. 
And, you know, even that was, you know, I was getting a bit irritated by people's attitude that, oh, COVID will soon go, go back to normal. And I said, come on, you know, <laughs> hello, what if COVID doesn't end until 2021? And yeah. now I'm event, you know, what if COVID doesn't end? And, you know, but I hardly step out by myself to say, ah, Abimbola, I want to have an event. I hardly do. The other one I did probably was about corporate governance. And again, it was from an irritation that, come on, look at this. We don't have half heads or one third heads. Those guys in financial services sector and highly regulated sector, they're not better than us per se. They're just more exposed. And you know, one of the things they're exposed to is corporate governance. And if they use corporate governance to grow their, you know, their companies, they use it to attract huge investments. They use it, you know, to build structure. You know, why are we not doing that? And people are living beggarly, you know, you know, in pharmacy. I I I was just irritated and said, look, let's begin to talk about corporate governance. I'm not quite sure I've you know made that mark, but I think it's something we should continue to do, you know, you know, to move forward. So yeah. now, now is the time that I'm beginning to think that maybe I should begin to initiate my own external facing, you know, channel and actually own my space, but it hasn't happened. So I'm learning it as well. Someone did a follow-up on me today. The way he followed up, I had to drop the phone and say, Abimbala, learn. Just learn how this guy has gotten you to say yes, how he's gotten what he needed. How, you know, wow, see how he did it with expertise. So you see, that's how to do it. So I am also learning up to now. <laughs> All right, that, that's great. Like every time I listen to you speak or I'm in a room where you're speaking, there's always this thing that comes off and then it's the willingness to learn and still goes back to the problem solving things and questioning things. And it is just so rich. I, I think I should say that at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, I also feel like it's kind of like a good time to kind of speak towards something you've always, something you've been championing in the past few years, which is PLSP. And it's something I also benefited from. And I still benefit from today because I know what, I know how much PLSP affected my career at the point where I was able to reshape my thought process across so many things in pharmacy. And I think that was part of the things you people wanted to achieve with PLSP. So um, I, I kind of want to see have you speak towards what the relevance of PLSP is to the young pharmacists today and how maybe you hope young pharmacists should interact with this opportunity. I think it's a priceless opportunity. And I, I just wanted to hear it from your own perspective. You can also probably give us a history or roll down as to how it happened. I know I've, I've heard it in the past, but it, would, it wouldn't be bad to still hear it again now. Right. Thank you, Nelson. I'm so pleased, you know. Anytime I hear people who have gone through PLSP, you know, be the ones who speak about it. Because we haven't quite, you know, advertised or promoted it. We, we started it as, you know, an example of what can happen if you deliberately create content for pharmacists. Um, I came across a challenge that I had heard through um, a contemporary then, um, Shina. And he mentioned that, oh, the registrar was quite disturbed by the irony of pharmacies needing interns on one hand and interns on the other hand, not having placement, you know, not being able to work somewhere. And even somewhere, you know, staying a year or two, I couldn't believe it, I couldn't understand. Stay a year, internship, not having, you know, it seemed, you know, it seemed far-fetched. I couldn't believe it until I met a particular pharmacist in a place and she said, oh, she's pre-intern. And I said, oh, why aren't you doing your internship here? That I understand it's licensed for, for internship. They said, oh, no, you know, she doesn't want to do her internship in a community pharmacy. She's waiting for a hospital to open up. Um, at that time, I gave unsolicited advice and I told her, you know what, internship is one year. It's not going to define your whole life. It's just one year. Work anywhere. 
if you finish your internship, then look for that hospital. But if you keep yourself on hold, you'd find sets after you coming to meet you and there was no advantage to you being ahead of them in school. So, you know, I think that message, you know, struck her and she took action. She keeps coming back to say, thank you, thank you. But I advised her well. And she went to work in a community pharmacy and then a hospital for NYC. And now, you know, she's doing great. And I think to myself, you know, that was just a simple, clear understanding I had that I shared with her over a few minutes and it helped her career. You know, how else can we do this on a larger scale? So when I heard about that challenge that the registrar had, I, you know, I wrote up a proposal and sent to him and he loved it and said, oh, come on, let's implement it. And how come I could, you know, write a proposal was because I'd done a similar thing for entrepreneurship, having worked at the Tony and Emily Foundation. So I'd worked on proposals that showed you could mix a number of things together and produce one solution. We, we did for entrepreneurship, we, we even wrote one for um, TVET, that's technical and entrepreneurship or vocational entrepreneurship um, skills. So it had become a part of me and doing it in pharmacy made sense. So I now got together a number of faculty members, people in my circle, oh, please, you're a pharmacist, let's write something. One of them is HR in Procter & Gamble, she wrote stuff. One of them was a lead pharmacist in Yaba Psychiatrics, you know, she wrote stuff. My team also, you know, we put stuff together. I, of course, dealt with corporate governance parts. So we put together a 12-week program for the online course. Then compose where the mentorship would be, compose where team building would be. So we put up several things. The only one we couldn't do was to supplement the salaries or the pay of interns while they were doing their internship, because that was a big desire of the registrar. You know, for us to be able to attract such funding that would supplement so that people wouldn't mind working in community pharmacies, they'd get the salary there and then get some like um, subsidy. But we haven't been able to succeed at that particular pillar. But every other pillar we've worked on. And to me, it's one of the biggest contributions I think I've made in pharmacy, where we have hundreds of you know young pharmacists say that their orientation has changed, you know, because you come out and there's this bare apologist about, oh, pharmacy is not all that. And I'm like, wow, you're giving like a platter of gold and you, you just need to fill it, you know, with treasures. And some people want to throw that platter away. I have been out of the industry, I'm back in the industry and I know what you have is rich. What you need to do is work it, as in take it, dismantle it, put it back together the way you want it. So to throw it away because of somebody's naysaying, it pains me all the time. I'm not saying pharmacy is great, but then engineering, law, medicine, how much greater are they? So instead of throw away what you have, is to work the system, work it, find the problems and do something about it and not be limited by, oh, I don't have cash or I don't have a godfather. Those things are secondary and they're beautiful when you have them, but you cannot be limited by them. You cannot. Wow. So, <laughs> well, it's, this is so interesting. I can actually testify to the fact that um, PLSP was that mindset shift, or would like to say even a mindset consolidation, because at the time when I was telling people I did not want to intern at a hospital for my internship and I was at that point saying oh I'm going into community pharmacy to intern it, it, it looked like um an abstract idea and most people were like like are you actually going to do mm -hmm. that go for this lower uh, this this low hanging fruit when you can actually reach mm -hmm. higher but I think PLSP helped me understand that it was far beyond that and we could actually abstract value from wherever absolutely. we are. Absolutely. Yeah, and that is something I'm so grateful to PLSP for. So I now, now is a good time to really talk about how you've um, done consulting at FITC, being CEO at Tony Lumelu Foundation, 
um, consulting for World Bank, African Agribusiness Innovation Network, um, African Development Bank, and then even recently um, getting the Google Black Funders Fund, which is which was a fanfare fund at, at some point towards the end of last year. So would you say you kind of like now have an exit plan or do you probably want to still leave pharmacy, go somewhere else, do something different? Are those things part of your plan? And I think it still goes back to, even if you did not have the plan before, like that man said during the interview, yeah. <laughs> is there something like that now? <laughs> So I'm, I'm better equipped now. I actually do have plans now. At least I have milestones. And when I was starting Advantage Health Africa in 2017, I said I was giving myself 10 years to run this. So my exit will happen in 2027. And hopefully I'll get a board position and, you know, still be able to, you know, keep that half eye over what's happening in the, you know, in the venture that I have started and do other things. Maybe I'll um, go and complete, restart my doctoral study and then actually finish it this time around. Who knows? Or as you said, you know, all this management consulting, do it on a larger scale, maybe across Africa further. But those opportunities came by referral. People saying, oh, I know someone who can do this. And then, you know, you get called and you do, and that's fine. While I was at FITC, I was leading the consulting arm. And um, one of the things that happened was that the, the IFC came to train us to become master trainers. And I was quick to be a master trainer in corporate governance for bank directors. So that opened me up to that level. In fact, so now one of my side hustles is training and I do a lot of corporate governance training. I train for IOD, I train for the same FITC, I train even for some IFC programs. So that's why I made some side money. In case many of you think that, you know, it's all, you know, AHA, I make some side money as well. And I advise that to all entrepreneurs, you know, there must be things that you do to bring you some additional income. So that's a oh, wow. side. The, the Tony Emily was also a referral. I'd worked with a lady who was close to the chairman and she had been with me in Accenture. So when there was a role that was missing at the Tony Emily Foundation, it had to do with operations. I mean, I'd never won a title operations, but she saw how I handled certain projects that were implementation type projects. So as a management consultant, consultant, you can do strategy type projects. So you simply dimension stuff and give them a report, you know, go ahead and do, or you do implementation type, meaning after the consulting and the dimensioning, you actually help to handhold and actually, you know, carry things out. So I think it struck her that, you know, Abimbola could do this operations work and she recommended me and I got in there and I think I did a good job. Um, the, um, the AIM job also came out you know, right after Tony Emilio Foundation. They were, they were setting up something in Ghana that looked like aggregation and you know, creating hubs. So I was invited to come and do that in Ghana, did it for a while and then came to set up Advantage Health Africa. So all have been referent, you know, referrals. It was from AIM that I was referred to AFDB to help them do a certain project that you know was really interesting. So I think when when you gain traction in one place, it helps you know to snowball you into other opportunities, other opportunities, other opportunities. Oh wow, this is just a lot, but yet again, it speaks to skills. So, and there was there are some skills you made mention of earlier: crossover skills, critical thinking skills, being able to learn quickly, questioning things. Are there any other skills you think are very important for the pharmacist of this day, or someone that is moving into the future of work? which means that it's cross-border, everything is kind of integrated and there's almost no separation between this sector from the other sector. Um, I think things that I wish I had been able to pick up are things around product design and customer or market, market acceptance or market penetration skills. 
So product design, being able to think of a product end to end, not just, oh, I like something, I want to do it, let me start. So I, I encounter more product designers now and they plan, okay, what would the user issues be? What would the user think? They do experimentation. You know, the kind of things that I have to learn afresh and Bayer, winning the Bayer Foundation, you know, um, award last year, they gave us a mentor for six months and she was fantastic in teaching us those things. But I had some people in my team who that's their forte. So I'm, you know, learning afresh, you know, you don't just throw a product into the market. UI, UX, you know, learn, learning about user integration and user experience. Anybody should learn that. So if a pharmacist can understand certain things appeal to people, they appeal to the emotional sides of people, you know, learning also how to sell, understanding that selling is not just to the logical mind, but to the emotional mind or to sell to emotions. Those are also important things. Learning how to speak and learning how to write, how to summarize. They say anybody can write a long letter, but it takes a genius to summarize into a one pager. Just learning how to do that. Um, learning also how to manage people. Those are crossover skills. Because you see, you'd always work in teams and one of the biggest derailers of careers is poor team management. And if you do not know how to manage teams, you will lose many opportunities. So imagine, you know, being a brilliant technical person and then you get stunted in your career growth because nobody wants to work with you or you rub off nastily on people or you're a bully or you're very toxic. Uh, I think learning how to work with people is also a crossover skill that serves you anywhere. Because after a while, your degree stops to matter. It stops to matter. They don't even know it anymore. It's not so much at the forefront. It becomes your personality. It becomes your capabilities in managing projects. It becomes, you know, how you account for things. Those are the things that then begin to matter. I have staff that I don't even know whether they are graduates or they are not graduates. I, it doesn't really matter to me because I hired them because of that personality and that ability to bring on skills that are needed for the job that are soft, they're not technical. One of them is even a manager today. And I know there was some stuff about, oh, he wants to do his HND. On. I don't know if he went to do it. It doesn't matter to me. He's not as old as everybody in his team, but he's the manager of that department. And he's been promoted on pure performance, do you get? So pharmacists, you know, should not be too hung up on their degree. The field is beautiful, it's vast. Learn the basics, grow technically, but begin to grow in the softer areas, project management, team building, product management, product design, market penetration, sales, and you know, critical thinking. Those are the ones that come to my mind right now. Oh, thank you so much, man. I really wish we didn't have to come to a close soon. So, <laughs> but, but, but we're kind of at the end and then this section will be mostly rapid fire questions. So just a few words and then we can wrap up because I know I've taken so much of your time already and we really would not want to overshoot because this is a other privilege, <laughs> other privilege to have here. So um, first one, what is the best career advice you've ever received? Uh, best career advice. Not sure it came as an advice, but when I became director at the Tony Emily Foundation, I remember the chairman saying, hmm, you're a director. I hope you're not those types that sit back and not do. You know, you just be pointing fingers for people to do. And to me, you know, it was a strange perception, but I made sure I was a doer and not just a talker. So maybe that's one of the strengths I have, being able to show that I do. So if I'm directing now, it's not something I can't do. I can do. Maybe that's- oh, Wow. Yeah, so be a doer. Wow, interesting. <laughs> and then you've mentioned some people along the line. So if there's any other person out of it now, is there one person that you say has significantly influenced your career? Mm, my boss when I was in Accenture, not the overall boss, my direct manager, Nihisu. Nihisu was so humble, so calm. So, you know, it was just so perfect to me. 
But there was one day we were going to present to a bank and he entered there calmly. He just rolls up his sleeves, doesn't really wear a tie, you know, just casual. And um, the bankers were getting a bit snotty. So then he realized he needed, I mean, he read the room and he understood he needed to set his credentials straight so that, you know, people would respect. Because apparently, you know, you can't take it for granted that people respect you just. So he, you know, took that room and handled it like a master. And I said to myself, oh, wow, you know, it's not every time you're just calm and gentle and humble. Sometimes you need to, you know, uh, breathe in and project. So I, I realized that, and he's been my advisor for a long time. Whenever you ask me for my referees, it's near Yusuf and whoever else you get. So <laughs> I remember I, I, I misstepped somewhere. I resigned from the place in a nasty way. Well, looking back, it was nasty. Then when I was doing it, I did it with my full chest. So there was <laughs> me. <laughs> And it was only me that could get me to, you know, to repent and um, go and apologize several months after. So I look up to him. He's not maybe just a year or two older than me, but I look up to him as a boss, you know, very soft power, but he wields it strongly. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, so the next question will be, if you had to choose three main ingredients to make up a successful career, what would those ingredients be? Uh, resilience, being able to bounce back very quickly. Two, openness to learn and learn quickly. And, you know, learn from anyone. I say pharmacists sometimes need to go and sit with, you know, herb sellers in the market. Just wear t-shirt and jeans and slippers and do an internship there for 90 days so that you can learn more about herbs. Because, you know, that's an area we don't know jack about. And it's a field that, you know, we've left. So learn quickly and learn well. Uh, maybe thirdly is just, you know, be honest and have integrity. Because wow. authenticity is what makes you happy at the end of the day. If you're fake, and you know all of it all around you because there's so many things that fight at you. Imposter syndrome will fight at you. Um, you know, people's, you know, non-acceptance. There'll be circles you will never get into, but when you're authentic and you know that you have integrity, at the end of the day, you'll be fine. Wow, so resilient, be willing to learn. That has just shown over and over in our conversation today. And then the integrity and authenticity. Well, thank you so much, Marcel. Uh, that goes to, um, if that girl that sold those crumbled biscuits in primary school saw <laughs> you today, <laughs> what do you think she would say to you? Mm. She just said, it's okay, continue. <laughs> Honestly, um, I'm glad that I make such a positive impact on some people. But looking at myself, you know, I'm just grateful that I'm where I am doing what I'm doing. And we all can be. We all can be. I don't want to say I'm not special, but really, I am fine. Okay, but maybe I can help you say it. You are special to a lot of us out here. And then so many of us look up to you. So I think that counts for something. Okay, I'll take it. Marcel, <laughs> any final words, so to speak, for young pharmacists in Nigeria? Anything else you might want to just tell young pharmacists as a pattern? Okay, just so I would, be, I would not be oblivious of the fact that many want to travel abroad. And quite honestly, I won't stop anybody if you want to travel abroad. But I think if you're doing it in haste, you might get there and regret it. And you might be too proud to come back to you know, start afresh. So why don't you just start now? Learn all you can. Understand your terrain. See the opportunities here because there are huge opportunities. If you travel and come back into the country, you're almost on a plane that is half and half Nigerians and foreigners. And those foreigners are coming because they're seeing opportunities up and down in pharma and outside pharma. 
So if you, the son of the soil, or the daughter of the soil, choose to be impatient with the opportunities here, they're appearing, you know, problematic. I know, I honestly know. It can get frustrating if you're not living in a service apartment or you don't have a beautiful car or your salary isn't, you know, paying your, you know, upkeep. I honestly know. But if there's any way you can be patient and stay a bit and know that, yes, I have exhausted all opportunities here and I need to travel, then please, you know, go ahead and travel. If you can dig deeper, you might find a treasure here. And so then your travel will be for holidays like I do now, or for conferences like I do now, or paid trips like I have now. And you will enjoy both worlds. Or getting stuck in someone else's land, it's not the best. You know, my dream is that my children will be able to, or my son, and you know, young ones like you will be able to have the options of going dashing in and out of any country from a place of peace and not because you're stuck. That to me is you know, my charge to anyone. If you do need to go, please go confidently. If you think you need to come back, please come back confidently. Don't let any you know, naysayers you know, prompt you to do things and you now regret them later. That's my charge. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, man. This has been such a pleasant conversation and I really wish we didn't have to end it. And this, this has been so nice. That brings us to the end of this episode, man. Thank you once again for joining us. And I know that this conversation will bring great value to everyone that listens to it. And then it would also help young pharmacists and help everyone. I think it even goes beyond the pharmacy profession now to kind of find a better direction in their journey to, to, to their careers. So um, everyone that is listening, thank you so much for listening to Spotlight. So one thing I think I'll be doing at the end of every episode will be to live with a quote. And I think this quote is even so much watered down compared to the terms we've got it today. But it's one from Lisa Nichols. And she says, you are the author of your autobiography. It is up to you to choose to write a bestseller. And I I really see it in what you've been doing. You're writing in bestseller with your life, which is a great thing. Um, so for everyone that is listening, if you've enjoyed this, please leave a rating everywhere you listen to podcasts. Like, share, subscribe. And then until next time when we come back with another episode, this is Nelson. And don't forget to reach higher.